Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. you are all well witches. This week we'll be talking all about graveyards and how they relate to witchcraft. In section two we will be talking all about Marie Laveau, our first look at an infamous witch within history and to kick off today's show we will be reviewing the book Keeping Her Keys, an introduction to Hecate's modern witchcraft written by Cindy Brannan. So let's delve into this week's book review. This is another book that I would say you really need to dedicate a lot of time to studying and working the practices to reap the rewards. You again may want to start a new book of shadows specifically for this book. Overall, it's a course that will take you a year working with each new moon. So I learned a bit more than I already knew in relation to Hecate through this book But the main reason I loved it is because it will certainly strengthen my ways of devotion and honouring her. So you may remember me saying on a recent episode, I often offer up roses to Hecate and I actually learned from the book that this is one of the offerings that you should and could make to her that she really likes. It also delves into Hecate's night, which is 13th of August, a few days after my birthday, Hecate's night is an annual festival or sacred night to Hecate. This is said to be an ancient Greek festival. It focuses around asking Hecate, lady of the storms, to not send storms to us. So it's a night where we are asked to leave and offering at the crossroads to Hecate to ask her to keep us safe from storms or to keep the storms away from us entirely. And this would have tied in with the harvest as these storms would have obviously destroyed them. This night is also a celebration of Diana. It stems back to pre-Hellenic Greece and it also has links with the Morrigan. We will delve into this in an episode around August time. Anyway, so back to the book. Ultimately, it's a fantastic way for you to work with and develop a relationship with Hecate. So how to establish a meaningful connection, how to communicate with her, interpret messages you receive, be it through dreams, signs, direct messages or meditations, events. I love the section on the witch's hour of power, which talks all about building a practice of affirmations, gratitude, journaling, intention settings, tarot practice and self-checking. So it has information on devotional rituals, petitioning Hecate and evoking her and what offerings that you can make to her. It also teaches you all about fire scrying, coinciding with 
Hecate's fire symbolism, how to work with animal energy, as Hecate is strongly linked to the hound, horses and snakes, although I also link her to lions. There are a few animals she links to, but the hound, horse and snake are said to be the strongest. So the book delves into crystals associated with Hecate, how to create a garden in honour of her, so talks about the plants associated with her. This includes obviously the rose, lavender, chamomile, almond, basil, dandelion, frankincense and garlic. Also mugwort, but there are many and they are all listed and as to how and why they correspond to her. There is a section relating to divination and Hecate, predominantly tarot, that is one of the more connected forms of divination to her. It explores lucid dreaming, creating sacred space linked to Hecate, and also spellcrafting. Finally, the book has a self-initiation process for you to carry out following the year's course worth of teaching and practices. The book is written by Cindy Brannan. I have been familiar with her work for a while, always coming back to her work online for information relating to Hecate. She seems to have the most information out there pertaining to Hecate. She has a YouTube channel, a blog. Honestly, I wish there were more books like this relating to other deities, as I know lots of us struggle to understand specifically how to work with individual deities, what they like, what they expect. But if you do work with Hecate or are even curious in regards to working with her, this is a fantastic book, one that I personally am going to work through for the next year. If you do purchase this and work through it, let me know what you think and how your journey goes. Just a little side note, we do talk about quite a few books on the show. If I had to give you two of my top recommendations for this year so far, it would certainly be this book if you are looking at already working with Hecate and Psychic Witch. I only review books on the show that I think are worthwhile buying. However, these are two of the strongest that I have read so far. Join me after the break where we talk all about the infamous Mary Laveau. Welcome back. So just a little side note in regards to part one of today's episode, just to say, I know we talk a lot on the show about deities, but by no means do you have to work with a deity as part of your practice. I know you know this, just very conscious that it is a topic we discuss a lot on the show. So you do you, boo. Before we get into the second segment, I felt that it would be ridiculous and frankly disrespectful for me not to mention the protests going on across the world following the death, no, the murder, let's get it straight, call it what it is, of George Floyd and the severe police brutality taking place not only in the protests but across the course of many years. If you've been involved in the protests, I want to salute you. If you aren't sure how to get involved, please sign every relevant petition you can. If you can, donate to the many funds that are helping bail people out who are involved in the protests or to the George Floyd Fund. That's who I've personally donated to. As a result, I wanted to spend time on the show honouring famous black witches within history. 
We haven't ever talked on the show about any infamous witches and who better off to start with than Marie Laveau. Timing with our third segment today regarding graveyards. After all, her gravesite is said to be one of the most visited in the whole of the US. It is said by locals in New Orleans that she haunts St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 as well as the streets that she once roamed. Her tomb is called the Wishing Tomb and visitors scroll three X's on it with charcoal and chalk in order to summon Marie Laveau to ask for her help. This is in homage to Mary Laveau, who signed all her legal documents with an X. And apparently by signing this on her tomb three times, it calls her by all three names that she used herself, Marie Catherine Laveau. It is said that Marie will grant your wishes when you visit her tomb, more so if you leave some of her favourite offerings behind, which is said to be white rum, candy and cash. People travel from all across the globe to call in on this priestess and ask for her help. Even in her death, she is seen as being immensely powerful. Her grave is said to be above ground in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, although there is argument whether this is Marie Laveau or her daughter Marie Laveau II buried in it. Her grave is usually found adorned with flowers, cigars, alcohol and pictures as offerings. Marie Catherine in the Vaux, birth dates vary. Some information states she was born September 10th, 1801 and died June 15th, 1881. Other information I found is that there was no legitimate documentation to clarify when she was born and it could have been any time in between 1794 to 1806. She was born to Charles Laveau, a wealthy white man and a Creole woman. She was raised by her grandmother, Catherine. I can't stress how much the research differs, so I apologise if you've come across any differing information on her life. I did a lot of comparison and research, really delved into this as much as I could, but again, the law is tricky. Initially, Marie was married to a man named Jacques Paris at the age of 25, Around a year after their marriage, he is said to have disappeared and some believed that he was abusive to Marie and she used voodoo to get rid of him for good. However, nobody was ever found. After this, she was given the nickname Widow Paris and is said to have garnered a mystical reputation for herself. Once her husband was out of the picture, she started making a living for herself cutting hair. Through her occupation, it is said that she built relationships with the wealthy of New Orleans. Some say that she used priceless secrets that she gained from hairdressing clients and their slaves that she utilised to use against the wealthy to attain her own wealth. She was a pillar of the community. She was a Catholic and built a strong relationship with the progressive priest of St. Louis Catholic Church called Père Antoine who is said to have baptised her, and it's also rumoured he allowed her to use the church's altar to perform voodoo rituals, as he believed that the voodoo queen's practice was special and necessary, despite how many citizens of New Orleans felt this was blasphemous. Père Antoine was a legend in his own right, as he was famous in his day for helping voodoo women, single mothers and children. He performed wedding ceremonies for interracial couples and Marie led many to his church. Marie was a devout Catholic for all her days, 
She was a student of the Ursuline Order of Nuns who taught Marie Catechism and all about spirit possession in Christianity, the Holy Spirit in particular. So I hope I pronounced this correctly, but Catechism is the summary of exposition of doctrine and serves as a learning introduction to the sacraments, so religious teachings. So if I explain a word to you, it's basically because I had no clue what it meant. I'm sure you were probably much better clued up than me on some of these. In regards to her voodoo practices, she was said to have learned this from a man called John Bayou or Dr. John. Although the practice of witchcraft and religion are very divided, Marie disagreed and used Catholicism heavily in her teachings and encouraged people to attend church and worship the Virgin Mary. Marie made a significant impact on the history of New Orleans. Some even claim her to be a saint. She aided the poor and needy and her community overall. She kept voodoo tradition alive during a time when African slaves were prohibited from practicing their people's religion. She drew on Moses speaking with angels and spirits and teaching his people to build altars and leading them to freedom eventually. Marie incorporated this into her craft and beliefs. She would recite the creed, Our Father and Ave Maria prayers, but instead of finishing off with Amen, would use, and here comes my French, Einst soit ill. This translates to so be it and became the voodoo equivalent of Amen. Some terrible French from me, sorry. Alongside cutting hair and providing magical services within the community, Marie is said to have led voodoo circles in Congo Square. Eyewitness accounts are recorded to have said that this involved huge bonfires with African men and women dancing wildly around the fire. The women were said to have wriggled and writhed like the snakes they wore on their shoulders. Marie Laveau is said to have had her own snake that was called Zombie, spelt Z-O-M-B-I. Apparently, police were called in from time to time to break up the voodoo circles, but it is said that Marie Laveau used magic to keep the police at bay. One infamous story states that she entranced the police away, another of a rich man whose son was on trial. So some research said the man's son was innocent. Other reports said there was much evidence against him. This white rich man consulted Marie for assistance in him being acquitted. It is said that she went to St. Louis Church and prayed for three days with three hot peppers in her mouth as a show of her devotion and sacrifice. She then went on to place the three peppers underneath the judge's chair. When the case was dismissed, the father awarded Marie with the house she lived in until her death. It is debated as to whether it was Marie's voodoo that saved the man or Marie's privileged information from the police and relationship with the judge. But nonetheless, he walked free, and as a result, Marie's social and political power grew in New Orleans. Marie later fell in love with a white man named Louis Christophe de Mencil de Glapion. They went on to have either five or 15 children. Again, conflicting numbers on many bits of research that I found. So it is said that interracial laws prohibited the two from marrying. So Jean-Louis was said to have publicly changed his race, posing for the rest of his life as a free man of colour. Him and Marie then entered into a common law marriage. 
One of her daughters, Marie Laveau, took over the mantle from her mother, being known as Marie Laveau II, and had her own history. She was also notorious in New Orleans. She practiced root work, conjuration, and Native American and African spiritualism, as well as Louisiana voodoo. Louisiana voodoo, also known as New Orleans voodoo, which describes a set of spiritual beliefs and practices that were developed from the traditions of the African diaspora. Diaspora is the term commonly used to describe a mass dispersion of people, and in this case, the mass dispersion of people from Africa during the transatlantic slave trades between the 1500s to 1800s, where millions of people were taken from Western and Central Africa to different regions throughout the Americas and the Caribbean. It is so difficult with this to separate the law from the facts with Marie Laveau. So one story I read claimed that she was rejuvenated by magic. Someday she looked younger than her actual age. Although other accounts say this was just her daughter Marie Laveau II being cited. When the original Marie Laveau became too old, her daughter took up her work. Marie believed deeply in her practice and faith throughout her lifetime. She is said to have been generous in giving back and taking care of people so much so that's why all these years on, people still call on her for help. If she really died, that is. Join me in part three where we talk all about graveyards. I wanted to delve into graveyards, in specific graveyard magic, which is a thing. I found it really difficult to find out enough on this. This information is from an amazing article by Michelle Gruben on a site called Grove and Grotto. So this topic all started up from having a wander through a huge cemetery where I live. So just to recap, I've always been obsessed with graveyards Me and my brother created a pet cemetery in our back garden. This wasn't like last week. Obviously, this was when we were kids. We were very weird kids. The original film, Pet Cemetery, is one of my absolute faves. It's always been my thing to walk through and look at gravestones. I've even been on a second date where a guy took me for lunch and then to a graveyard as he knew it was my cup of tea. So in essence, this is my domain. I thought... While I am here, what are the links between witchcraft and graveyards? It just, you know, randomly. But I mean this with the utmost respect because we all have someone dear to us that has passed on. But for me, visiting a graveyard is ultimately about offering respect towards the dead. Because where I live, it tends to mainly be Victorian graves. There are very, very few more recent gravestones So for me, I feel that by visiting them and acknowledging the individuals within the graves, reading their headstones, trying to consider their lives is, in a sense, offering respect. I mean, we all know the graveyard has symbolic boundaries between the world of the living and the underworld. They are a shared spiritual space. Ultimately, one thing we all share as humans is death. Graveyards, in essence, they're a piece of land that has been immune to commercial redevelopment. 
They remain as quiet, they're somber places. So whilst the rest of the world around them chugs along, they are a place in nature that's open to the public. It doesn't get overrun by joggers, cyclists or picnickers and the like. So the graveyard near me that I visited is absolutely huge. It's without a church on site. I came across one dog walker during my hour there. It was a really surreal experience because it was a scorching hot, beautiful day. There was like a slight breeze. You could hear the really old trees creaking in the wind. You could hear the tinny sound of traffic, dogs barking and the like on the periphery of the graveyard. So anyway, what I'm trying to get at is that I know many witches have a real love of graveyards in a non-gothy, aesthetic, loving way and can probably relate. Graveyards have metaphysical traits. They hold a timelessness and stillness. They hold strong emotional energy. And this obviously can be attractive to visiting entities. So carrying out magic in a graveyard is a guarded subject. Although I am a keen frequenter of graveyards, I can't say I've carried out magic within them, but I was really interested in relaying to you the information I found on witches who do practice within them. So our guardedness on this subject can stem from our own discomfort from death or the sadness over a lost loved one. However, graveyards in magic are often associated with curses and hexes, However, I did come across many respectful ways within this to honour the dead and utilise this sacred space in a positive way that may be of interest to you. One of the first most interesting facts I discovered is that every graveyard is said to have a guardian. So this is a presiding spirit who is said to watch over the boundaries and entrance of the site. This is in essence like the bouncer at the nightclub and if you don't check in with them correctly, you won't get very far. So law states that the guardian is the spirit of the first person buried in the cemetery who is bound to stay behind and watch over it. It is also stated that in the past, certain communities would try to cheat this system through burying an animal or a vagrant in the first plot of the graveyard. So other theories state that the guardian of the graveyard is more likely to be either a senior human spirit, gods or emissaries of death, psychopomp fae, all of the above, dependent on your magical beliefs. But the tradition in regards to a graveyard guardian is well believed through many cultures from the research that I carried out. So these guardians wear many hats. They have many jobs from setting the energetic tone of the site, controlling what entities can enter the grounds or remain there. They also work with the caretakers and visitors to the graveyards. They help maintain the place physically. They may also collaborate with local sorcerers, witches, high priestesses that carry out their magic there often. So if your graveyard already has been claimed in this way by someone practicing magic, you are advised to tread lightly and match or keep your magic in line and compatible with theirs. So graveyards that feel open and peaceful have guardians that welcome visitors. Haunted, forlorn and forbidding burial places have guardians that care little for human company. So you can certainly sense the tone when you are in one. There is another graveyard near me that has an area I've always felt is particularly dark, 
always had this sensation I need to run when I walk through a certain part. This particular Victorian graveyard is a walkthrough from my favourite really, really old pub to the town centre. So I sometimes even bypass that route. Nevertheless, the Guardians will ensure you feel which is which. They will also give you hints and nudges in regards to the types of magic that their domain supports. So if you visit, try and tune in and listen. So you can definitely put this out in your mind when you visit. I think it's wise to ground or shield yourself anyway as much as possible before you enter a graveyard. So knowing this and in your mind or quietly, greet the guardian as you enter and ask, is it okay for you to enter and respectfully be within the grounds? Explain what you are there for. But obviously, listen in your mind or overall to see if you pick up any messages. Obviously, your intuition will know. Remember, you're in their space, so respect it. So if the energy is off, visit another graveyard. See if the welcome is different for you. You may want to bring some form of offering to the guardian. So good offerings could be tobacco, alcohol, flowers, coins, food, you know, something beautiful like cake everyone loves cake I love cake I have the chance to prove it anything offered in love and respect is unlikely to offend but ensure you take any rubbish home with you clear everything up offer any energy and prayers if you are unsure what's okay your well-meant intentions will be heard Developing a relationship with a guardian is one of the best things you can do if you wish to work within the graveyard. You can't just rock up with your candles and tarot cards and expect the best. And offer your service whilst you are there. So pick up any rubbish you see, anything you feel you can do whilst you are there to help. Is there a part of the graveyard that never gets visited that you can respectfully visit and acknowledge the graves of, consider their lives, pay homage to them, Anything you feel called to do in that area, in the graveyard, that will help. So witches are known to go to graveyards to work on magic pertaining to love, money, healing, success, but also for darker workings such as binding and revenge spells. This is also a good place to charge amulets and talismans. Since the sites are left alone most of the time, so energetically they are cleaner than areas frequented by other people. So this is by no means me saying go to a graveyard and start conjuring. I'm just giving you insight to how fellow witches over the course of time have worked their magic within them. So I mean no disrespect to anyone grieving a loss of a loved one. We've all had someone we love pass on. This really is more to acknowledge the beauty in this space, how it is a sacred place of high energy that if respectfully honoured through offering our services and the like can be worked within. Graveyard magic involves the spirits of the deceased and many magic practitioners who carry this out believe that the spirits of the dead can empower spell work by the living. Prayers and offerings are also made to earn their sympathy and support. Graveyards are like a sacred temple for some witches who tend to connect with the deities of death or the underworld. For example, Hades, the Morrigan, Hecate. I work with both the Morrigan, mostly Hecate. Both have strong associations, so this really resounds with me. 
I find myself like many witches, frequenting graveyards to contemplate mortality, be in the company of the dead, offering my respects. Burial places are also a traditional spot where people practice mediumship and spirit communication. So they can offer their services to any spirits that feel the need to be heard by the living. A major part of graveyard magic is listening and listen harder if you're still not sure what to do. So your instincts will guide you towards the right time and place to perform your workings and offer your services. Pay attention to specific areas of the graveyard that pull you in. So you may feel a certain gravestone that you are pulled to, a particular tree, visiting bird. These sites are an ideal place to receive messages from the other world. Sit down and listen when invited to. You need to keep an open mind and any messages you may get may not be from the grave that you are in close proximity to. Some witches visit graveyards for ritual ingredients, be it graveyard dirt, stones, branches from trees. However, specific magical rules and etiquette govern the removal of these items. This varies by tradition. In essence, do not take anything that isn't freely given or fairly bought and paid for. So graveyards aren't dark or evil places to work in. That's purely superstition. They are portal places, as in they carry certain magical power. And obviously with that risk, it is possible to encounter negative or chaotic energies that you wouldn't want to bring home with you. If you have a protective amulet or ritual, it's worth using it and again, grounding and centering yourself before you enter the graveyard. So ask your guides, your higher self to surround you with protection and also be conscious of any unwanted energy that may be attached to you as you leave. Some witches use graveyards as a place where they can channel or scry. Again, this is not for the faint-hearted, more for someone well-practiced in this area who can screen out any unwanted energies. You are in their space, so expect anyone to come through. By building a relationship with the site's guardian, you may find that they help you overall with your endeavours and can spot any trouble before you can and assist you. So they can be your allies, act in your favour if they support you and your work. You can generally find graveyards close to you literally just by walking out or driving out. If you live in a large city, you might find a graveyard with amazing monuments to city heroes, villains and the like. Many graveyards now even offer occult-themed tours. Check out your local historical and photography groups. They will often be familiar with little-known or neglected burial sites that you can honour. These sites all have stories to tell, so make sure you familiarise yourself with their history just out of respect. Some witches who work with graveyard magic will utilise a gravestone specific to their spell, i.e., a rich man for money spells, it gets a bit dark here, a murdered person for a revenge spell. Again, this isn't something I work in, but I am relaying practices that are common. So the stories of the deceased are often in danger of being lost to time. Sometimes the opposite is true and some regular people's gravestones have become almost pilgrimage sites for wish-making and small rituals. By visiting and understanding more in your local graveyard, though, you are honouring and remembering the people of your lands who helped build your local community. 
But there are certain rules, as mentioned before, that are recommended to be honoured. These are a blend of mundane and occult rules. Many are obvious and just simply respectful. So do not plant or bury anything. Do not litter. No vandalism or damage. Do not disturb mourners or memorial services. Personally, I would say just don't even be there whilst that's taking place out of respect. Open flames and glass may be prohibited. Again, much of this will be posted on the entrance to your graveyard anyway. Some graveyards restrict grave rubbings in the interest of conservation, but personally, I don't even feel the need to do this. I didn't even feel the need to do this when I was in primary school and it was inflicted on us with the use of Crayola, but that's just me. It generally isn't against the rules to take a paper rubbing of an interesting stone or marker, but entirely up to you. Just triggered remembering that school trip now. So really importantly, observe visiting hours. This is really important. These are often not posted, but they are covered by local laws. And etiquette generally is to leave a graveyard at sundown. I know we are witches, we do our best work at night, but ultimately it is illegal and some say bad luck to be hanging around in a cemetery after dark. I wouldn't recommend it. You're more likely to run the risk of encountering unsavoury people from the living, to be honest, in a graveyard at night, especially where I live. So magical rules in regards to graveyards that I can relate are complicated. This is a mass of superstition. So this is a brief insight. So don't point at graves or photograph them. And yes, I have failed this. I didn't realize it was a thing. And I apologize. I recently posted a picture of a huge, beautiful Victorian grave. And I didn't realize. Try to never step on a gravestone ever. It's sometimes unavoidable. And if you do, make sure you say sorry. Apparently, it's bad luck to wear anything new to a cemetery, especially shoes. Don't whistle in a graveyard. This is said to tempt death. Leaving coins on a gravestone or a grave is a token of respect. Don't yawn near a grave or a ghost could get inside your body. The person who takes something from a graveyard will return more than he took. And lastly, smelling roses when there are none around is a sign that a benevolent spirit is nearby. Again, a wash with superstition, but I sure am going to honour it. There is a grain of occult wisdom in there for sure. Not very helpful, but just bear in mind every cemetery would have a different energy anyway, like different customs dependent on culture, spirits and the like. The only consistent rule I can offer you is please show ultimate maximum respect, respect to the dead, respect to the land, respect to the guardian and respect to the living to whom this place is so important to through the loss of a loved one. In relation to graveyard dirt, this hand collected dirt can be used when dealing with unwelcomed dead and uninvited spirits to help remove them and keep them out. It is used by sprinkling it around your home or space or adding it to a potted plant or garden to keep a ward against the restless dead. It has been used for centuries in various cultures and traditions. 
The power of the ground infused with the bodies and spirits of the dead is pivotal in rites of necromancy, curses, hoodoo workings, and rituals invoking gods and spirits of the dead. So there you go, a very sombre episode today. I just wanted to say, as ever, thank you so much. Had more reviews through. I always love to hear from you. Don't be a stranger. Come over. I am on Instagram at The White Witch Company, Facebook, The White Witch Company. I now have a website, which I'm developing. It's not very exciting yet, but it is www.thewhitewitchcompany.co.uk. If you are feeling that way inclined, please, please, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd be so grateful. It just means that more people can find us on here. And yeah, that's the goal, basically, to build a witchy community. So one thing I wanted to put out there, and I know it sounds a little bit crazy talking about Samhain now. If you have any ghost stories, supernatural stories that you would be happy to share on the show, it can be shared anonymously. Please could you drop me an email, carly at thewhitewitchcompany.co.uk. For the month of October, obviously it will be all things Halloween related and that will ultimately form part of one of the shows. Anyway, have a great week, week witches even. I'll catch up with you next week. Love to you all.